0: Jesus since I was a little girl, growing up in the magical metropolis of Tulsa, Oklahoma. (laughs) But I think the beautiful thing about singing songs to Jesus is it has the the ability to take you back to a place where you encountered a living God. There are those songs, right? I remember going to kids camp and being on my face before the Lord singing You know, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. Lord, you are more precious than silver, right? You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. And it takes you back to that place where you felt the presence of the Lord, where his love was so tangible. Whew. still writes those songs to his church he still uses those songs to take us back to those moments when we first said yes Where we remember why we first said yes where the Holy Spirit was so close and he still does that so I want to sing a new song tonight that, has, that takes me back to that place. I want to sing it over you and I want us to sing it together and I want to teach it to you tonight, okay? And I just forgot how it goes. <laughs> oh no, I remember. <laughs> it goes like this. You have my heart, you have my soul. You have my love and all of my devotion.
1: I live to worship you alone. I lift my life to you in adoration. Let's sing it. Heart, you have my soul. You Could 그래. Feel the sanctuary
2: So many moments that I can look back where I have reason to sing, holy, holy, holy is our God. Um, Recently, I was visiting my parents in Texas, and if you don't know my story, our family story, my parents adopted six of us, six kids, after already raising seven of their own that had already grown up. And I was asking her just as like a refresher, hey, mom, like why... Was there ever a moment where the lack of resources or just the little that you had played any role in like you deciding whether or not you wanted to adopt all six of us? Because that's crazy, six kids, like overnight. I don't know, for anybody, that's crazy. And I'm just like, mom, like, how did you do it? Dad, how did you do it? Like, why, why would you do it? Because that's just, it's beyond my comprehension. And she responded back with saying, God uses ordinary people with limited resources to do the impossible. And there's a verse in uh story in Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking to the temple and Jesus had ascended into heaven. It's just the disciples trying to build this church. And they're walking to the temple and there's a lame beggar who's asking for money, asking for food and Peter walks up to this man and he says hey like i don't i don't have any food i don't have any money to my name but what i do have what i do have is this and he touches him prays over him and immediately he's healed and the impossible is done and i'm just reminded like we don't god is not limited to what we have whether you have a lot or you have a little like he's not his He's God. He's so much bigger than our resources here on earth. So as you give today, there's four ways to give on the screen. Give beyond what you have here on this earth. Jesus is inside of you. You can pray for somebody. You can go and serve those in your community. There's so many ways, like my parents did, taking in six kids. It doesn't have to be that extreme. But if God's calling you to that, you know, there's so much more that you can do And don't limit yourself because you're just ordinary. He wants to use you. He wants to partner with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God. God, for choosing us. Lord, we're so undeserving, Lord. We're the ones crying out, holy to you. Holy is your name. Yet you come into our home and just want to partner with us and use our resources, Lord God. So, Lord, thank you, Lord. God, we pray a blessing over these offerings that's coming in, Father, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just continue to worship you. In Jesus' name.
3: Hey, can we say welcome to Jones Egan, who's playing drums with us tonight? Young 15-year-old man of God, just crushing it, big pocket, laying it down. Jones, we love you. Can you welcome Julian Fort right here, playing keys tonight? One of Chicago's finest, and we got lucky to get him here at Colorado, in Colorado Springs at New Life Downtown. Julian, we love you, man. Hey, um, I'm Daniel. If you're new, Welcome. We are glad you're here. Uh, A couple announcements. If you are new, we would love to meet you after the service at Guest Central. So swing by, we'll give you a gift. Another announcement is we've got a men's retreat coming up October 6th and 7th. It's $145. You can get signed up at the back with Chad Jeffries. It's gonna be an amazing time. And here's the thing. Money will never stop us from letting you come so if you would like to come but don't have money to come we will give you money to come and a guy scholarship 10 different guys so if that's you and you want to be there just sign up afterwards it's going to be a great time October 6th and 7th now we want to be the smallest big church in America we want to be the kindest congregation in 719 right here so we take two minutes we're going to put a timer up. And I want you to cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, say hi to the people around you. Be nice in Jesus' name. One, two, three, go. Okay, okay, okay. Would you grab your seats? It's good to see you tonight. Yes, wow, someone is coming ready. Yes, ma'am, thank you. My Pentecostal sister. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Before we get started, I want to introduce you to some of my friends. Tonight, we have a really great group of people here that are visiting. And I would like all of the Romanians to stand, the Murasans. Would you stand tonight? Would you give it up for this beautiful family here? So just hang tight. Keep standing. Ben is probably, is he in the restroom or something? Anyway, I don't see, he went to get some coffee or something. Ben will be back. But Ben and Andrea just had their 15th anniversary this week. So give it up for Ben and Andrea. Yes. And all four of their parents are here, and these are some real saints from Romania, and they had to flee their country to save their lives. They were under persecution, pastoring, serving Jesus, had to flee to save their kids, and they found their way over to Canada, and Bill has pastored in Canada for 30 years. Is that right? And it's just, I just want you to know that these are some saints who have paid the price to follow Jesus. They have stayed faithful, they have stayed pure, they have stayed innocent in spirit. And they are uh, entrepreneurs, but they're evangelists as entrepreneurs. Like these people are leading people to Jesus all over the country right now. And so I just wanted to honor some Romanian royalty here tonight in the kingdom of God. Give it up for the Mirosan We bless you, we welcome you, thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for coming tonight. If you're you're joining us, just brand new, we're in week six of a series called Kings and Kingdoms. And we're going through the book of 1 Kings. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter nine. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. I'll read it to you here. So what I'm gonna do is read 1 Kings chapter nine, the first nine verses, and then I'll pray. And we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from 1 Kings chapter 9 it says When Solomon the king had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and when Solomon had achieved all he had desired to do the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon The Lord said to him Solomon I have heard the prayer and the plea that you have made before me I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now just look at that for a minute. My eyes and my heart will always be there. I pray that over New Life Church. That as we gather in this temple, as we remain this congregation in Colorado Springs, that God's eyes and his heart would always be there. And he he says, as for you, if you walk, everyone say if. If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I commanded and observe my laws and decrees, I will, say I will, I will will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Verse 6. But if, everyone say but if. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and the decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will, say then I will, then I will cut off Israel, cut off Israel from the land I have given them and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name and Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble, and all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, dang. Thanks be to God, let's pray. Would you open up your hands and open up your hearts just as a symbol, open up your hands as a symbol that you're ready to receive from the Lord. Lord, I say I must decrease and you must increase. I pray that I would not say anything that distracts from you. I pray that I would have purity of heart to do this work. I pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Lord, I pray that tonight would be holy ground, that you would mark us for eternity tonight, that you would claim us for your kingdom tonight, that you would You get our attention tonight. Speak to us, Lord, speak to us, Lord, speak to us, Lord. We did not come here to be entertained. We came here because we believe you speak. So we say, thunder in this place, almighty God. Claim for yourself a holy people. Make us a spotless bride tonight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Solomon's story is bookended by two dreams. The first dream we already spoke about in chapter three. Solomon is early in his reign and had just gotten established and was kind of collecting the monarchy back together after the loss of his father, David, and Solomon's getting some strength and he's finding his way and he's gathering his cabinet and he's doing his thing and God appears to him in a dream and says, Solomon, what do you want from me? A blank check from God. An open-ended invitation from God. Choose wisely. And Solomon wisely says, God I'm a little child and I don't know what I'm doing. And I need you to give me a wise and a discerning heart to lead this your people. And I need you to give me wisdom, give me wisdom. A Dream, God says, what do you want? And Solomon rightly says, give me wisdom. And God says, not only will I give you wisdom, but I'll give you what you didn't ask for. Be careful what you ask for. And when you ask for the right thing, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We see that in chapter three with Solomon's first dream. Solomon asks for wisdom. He builds the temple. He leads in prayer. The people are off to the races in the temple of the Lord. It's a very creative literary device to open with that dream because right here in chapter nine, the story we just read, he has his second dream, the bookended dream. The first one, young Solomon, wisdom, the second one, Solomon, what do you, what do you want God comes to speak to him. And in this second dream, the first one was an invitation. The second dream was a warning. This text, I want to suggest, shows us the double if formula of walking with God. The double if formula of walking with God. We see in verse four, it says, as for you, if, if, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness. I will establish, he says. But in verse six, let's go to verse six. He says, but if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and if you go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel. If you follow me, I will establish you. But if you don't follow me, You will be cut off from the land, the double if formula. If, then, but if, then. Solomon has a warning here from God and I wanna say to you tonight that God loves us so much that he'll regularly warn us to save us from destruction. God loves us so much that he will regularly warn us to save us, warn us to save us, my daughter just started driving. It is so beautiful, it is so beautiful. She is a firstborn, 10 and two, I understand now that they're telling kids to drive at nine and three, what's wrong with them? You know, anyone grow up on 10 and two? 10 and two work just fine, anyway. Nine and three, and she's responsible, and she's, you know, very engaged, don't touch the phone, and you know, and, and here's what we always say, watch for the other guy. Like, you can be decent, You can be thoughtful, but if you're not watching for the, you know, right? So if that, like there's this warning, there's this pay attention, there's this watch out, like warn us to save us, keep your eyes open because the enemy is looking to destroy us. God loves us so much that he will regularly warn us to save us from destruction. We see the double if formula. If you follow me, you'll be established. If you follow me, there will be promised land for you. If you follow me, it will go well for you. But if you don't follow me, you will be cut off from the land. There is the double if-then formula of following God. But Solomon lost his soul and he lost his way. He started beautifully sort of, uh, you know, he asked for the right thing in the first dream. He started okay, but Solomon lost his way, and now this story from chapter 9 on becomes a cautionary tale for us. We see the promise of the early Solomon. By now in chapter 9, it begins to be this cautionary tale. Solomon lost his soul, and he lost his way, and I just want to ask, what can we learn from later Solomon. What can we learn from chapters 9 through 11 about where Solomon lost his way? I wanna put in front of you tonight Solomon's three fatal flaws that can destroy all of us. Solomon's three fatal flaws. That can destroy all of us. It's a cautionary tale. If you're you're paying attention, if you're wise, you can learn from other people. I don't ascribe to the whole school of thought that I had to learn the hard way. No, you didn't. You just chose to. Solomon's three fatal flaws that cost him everything that we could learn from. The first fatal flaw that we see in Solomon's story here in chapters nine, 10, and 11, the first one is Solomon stopped defending the poor. He stopped defending the poor. Solomon chapter three, God give me wisdom. Give me a wise and discerning heart. I am like a little child. I don't know how to lead a nation. I don't know how to keep the monarchy united. God, I need you, I need you, I need you. Desperate request for wisdom. And in verse 16, right away after God says, I'll give you wisdom, what happens is two very poor prostitutes come to Solomon to adjudicate a dispute. Now, again, I said this the first time, but don't automatically think, oh, these are, these are dirty women who just chose, no, they are trapped in a sexual slavery moment where women were uh, property and this was maybe their only way out and they lived in the same house together, which means they had some kind of a pimp who was owning them and using them and selling them off for his own benefit. And so these two women have babies, each of them, and they're little babies and they're, they're being breastfed. That's how young they are. And they go to sleep one night and one mom rolls over and suffocates her baby boy and he dies and she wakes up early and sees that she's killed her son and she's heartbroken. She goes into the other room, steals the other lady's baby and puts her dead baby by her breast and the next morning, the lady wakes up and says, this isn't my son. Solomon has these two women come in and what does he do? Solomon speaks up for the poor. He he, he takes care of them. First of all, what is a king doing taking a meeting with two poor women? Well what we see is that early on he had a compassionate heart early on he had tenderness early on he wasn't too busy to take care of the poor Early on, something in him said, you know what, for me to be the king, I've got to rule justly and I've got to honor other people. The king of the nation is taking time for two poor people and he adjudicates the dispute and he brings justice and he stands this mother who is aching back up on her feet and restores her to fullness of life. Early Solomon is a Solomon who is paying attention to the poor. Solomon starts to drift. I want you to see that the Torah, the Old Testament in particular, the Torah, the Torah stresses the proper ordering of social relationships. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books, like the the, the Torah of Moses, God is trying to put together a people and rightly order a society. Torah, you can boil it down to love God, love each other. Worship Yahweh, honor your relationships have a vertical relationship with heaven, have a horizontal holiness, take care of one another. Moses is getting them tightened up so that they can order a just and a fair society that takes care of the weak and the impoverished. And he says, leave the edges of your field. Why? Because there are always going to be widows, there are always going to be orphans, and there are always going to be immigrants passing through your land. So harvest about 85, 90% of the inside of your fields, but leave the edges of your field. Why? Because when those poor people are passing through, they need to be able to pick the grain or pick the fruit off the vine. Feed God's people. Don't eat it all for yourself. The proper ordering of society, Solomon starts well, but he falls apart. He forgets. He forgets. Because you turn to chapter nine, chapter three, he's taking care of the poor. Chapter nine, here's what happens. Here is the account of the forced... Labor. Solomon, by chapter 9, is running concentration camps. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted. He, he stole these people to build, the Lord, to build the Lord's temple. Like, Solomon. Like, maybe conscript the, 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 the slaves to build your house, but let's not have the slaves working at the church. Like, maybe we could just have a conscience about this. No, he steals these people. He, he enslaves them to work for free to build God's temple. It goes on, verse 16, his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor, Megiddo and Gezer and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer and he had set it on fire. So now Solomon's beginning to look like Pharaoh. Do you see this? The Israelite king looks like Pharaoh. Pharaoh killed the Canaanite inhabitants and then he gave it as a wedding gift. So he steals a city, burns it down and gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter who is now Solomon's wife. So let's just pause here. Solomon is laying in bed married to the daughter of Pharaoh the man who enslaved his ancestors for 400 plus years and now Solomon is brokering deals and, and having this political arrangement and, and this kind of sexual political setup to, like how far has Solomon fallen from give me wisdom, now he's enslaving people running concentration camps. He's laying in bed with Pharaoh's daughter who demolished his ancestors for 400 years. Do you see? You can start with wisdom and end as a fool. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer because now this is a wedding gift that he, he, he got a free town because Pharaoh killed them all and burned it down. Verse 21, Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate. Well, we can't kill them, so let's just make them our slaves. To serve as slave labor. As it is to this day. The beginning of the story of Solomon. He's caring for two poor prostitutes trapped in a world of sexual slavery, and something in his heart is still compassionate, and something in his heart is still tender, and something in his heart. He, 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 Solomon at this point cries at the things that he should cry about, and he laughs at the things he should laugh about. Verse, chapter 3. Chapter 9, he's running concentration camps and destroying people everywhere he goes. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The tendency that Solomon demonstrates is a tendency that's not unlike the story we live in today. And I'll say it this way. The older we get and the more comfortable we get, the more we are tempted to isolate and insulate ourselves from other people's poverty and pain. Do you remember what it was like? Maybe some of you are doing this today to look for coupons. I remember early days researching what prices were at king supers versus walmart versus costco and crunching those numbers and 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 you know when you're when when you're living on the edge of faith and you're praying literally give me this day my daily bread and that's not just a cute little spiritual metaphor but like no give me this day my daily bread when you're in that zone you have eyes to see other people who are in that zone you got to pay for new tires and, and gosh, I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. And, and someone helps you along the way. And then 18 months later, they, their tires are on the brink and they don't have the money and you help them. Do you remember the camaraderie and the companionship and the help of strengthening each other? The older we get and the more comfortable we get, the more tempted we are to isolate and insulate ourselves from other people's poverty and pain. This is the story of Solomon from chapter three. God, give me a wise and discerning heart. And then two poor people come in, and he does the right thing. Chapter nine, he's destroying cities, enslaving people, taking slaves to build the house. Shame on you, Solomon. It's embarrassing. Can we be honest about the story? Like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. We have the tendency to isolate ourselves. But if we stop listening to the cries of the poor, what makes us think that God will hear our cries? Some of y'all are like, can't we just be happy tonight? Can't we just be blessed and highly favored tonight? Can't we just be, you know, uh, exceedingly abundantly? Like, friends, if we stop our ears to the cry of the poor, why should God listen to our cries? Solomon did. And God says, if you follow me, I'll establish you. But if you don't, you will be cut off from the land. And this is the beginning of the end of the life of Israel for some four to 500 years. This is about 960 BC. And for the next long stretch, they end up in exile and isolation and brokenness. Why? Because Solomon closed his ears to the cry of the poor. He stopped defending them. He stopped fighting for justice. And God says, well, if you're gonna walk away from them, I'm going to walk away from you. God is not the cosmic grandpa in the sky who's just passing out ice cream. God cares what we do with the poor God cares what we do for the brokenhearted. God cares what we do for the sick. God cares what we do for the prisoners. God cares what we do for the hungry. God cares what we do for the thirsty. Friends, do not let the strength that God gives you lull you to sleep so that you walk away from the people that he's sending you to bless. I care about this stuff because God cares about it. This is why I would suggest that regularly you go on a global missions trip. Join one of our teams. Wilson and I, my son, we just got back from Guatemala and we saw it afresh. And my little 14 year old son, maybe for the first time in his life in a very significant way, understood that the world is not Briargate. The world is not black forest. The world is not monument. The world is not precious. The world is not simple. The world There's complexity out there and people in the 719 who are living in the blessing of God who even if you're struggling in the 719 with a global perspective and with a historical perspective we are the richest people on the planet. And if we go yeah God's taking care of me the Lord will go If you follow me, if you serve me, if you covenant with me, if you keep your heart tender, and if you fight for justice like I fight for justice, you will be established in the land. But if you will be cut off from the land, Solomon's first fatal flaw is that he loses touch with the poor. He walks away. He stops caring. And friends, I just... I almost don't want to say this, but I'll just say this because I I sense that I'm supposed to say this. If you have been blessed by God and if you're not giving, he's going to ask you about that someday. He's going to ask us about this someday. There will be a day when we stand before him. And I'm not meaning to scare you. I am meaning to sober you. And he will say, what did you do with what I gave you? You know, Jesus, I, man, this is not in my notes, but I can't walk away from this. People come up to Jesus on that great day and they go, hey, Jesus, what's up? And he goes, who, who, who are you? And they go, what are you talking about? I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. Woo, I was at church every Friday night. He, he, he goes, who are you? And then there's this other group of people who come up to him on that day and there's like a humility and they're kind of, hum- and he goes, hey, I know you. And they go, what do you mean you know? And he goes, I was hungry and, and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you, you took care of me. And, and come on into the joy of your salvation. Friends, we cannot lose touch. There's a lady in our congregation who told me last year, I was kind of prying, like, are you okay? What do you need? And she goes, well, I'm actually in a season where I'm having to decide if I buy insulin or if I buy food. I could have collapsed. How about, how about you buy both? How about we help you buy both? When we stand up here and invite you to give, this is not so we can go buy Hummers for the pastoral staff, Okay. I could walk you through this room and tell you 100 stories every Friday night in this room of why we need people who are blessed by God to tithe and give offerings. And I can take you around our city and I can take you to Guatemala and I can take you to the Middle East, friends. Don't lose touch with the poor. Can you say amen? Some of you are like, leave me alone. Talk to God about it. Second fatal flaw, Solomon's second fatal flaw. Solomon lost his sense of biblical morality. Biblical morality. Verse seven, it says, he built the throne hall, the hall of justice, where he was to judge and he covered it with cedar from floor to ceiling and the palace in which he was to live set farther back was similar in design. Solomon also made a palace like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had married. So not only does Solomon build a temple for seven years, see this, he spends 13 years building his own personal palace. Do you see this? Seven years, number of perfection, beauty, order he builds the palace 13 years 13 is an off number if it was 14 it would be like doubly blessed 13 years there's an asymmetry to this something is wrong with this number Solomon spends 13 years building his palace seven years building God's house those ratios are wrong but then he builds Pharaoh's daughter his wife a separate palace like what are we doing here So he's married to Pharaoh's daughter and he crawls into bed with the woman whose father and whose lineage enslaved God's people. So you see Solomon's losing his sense of morality. Now Solomon is, is creating his Another palace just for her. And Moses made this so clear. Like Solomon automatically should not have been doing this. Now, Deuteronomy 7, any old Hebrew would have known when Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter, this is wrong on so many levels. Deuteronomy 7, 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, do not intermarry with the Egyptians. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will, will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Have you ever heard about that? That whole like unequally yoked thing. This is not like you know, Episcopalians shouldn't marry Baptists. Okay, that's not what we're like. Like these people had a different worldview. These people were enslaving people. These people were building an empire on concentration camps. Solomon. Don't intermarry with those people because if you do, their story will get inside of you and their corruption will get inside of you. And sure enough, Solomon begins to do what he married into. Don't intermarry with them and this is what you are to do to them. Break down those altars. Don't marry them. Take their way of being and destroy it in your soul. Don't let that creep into you. Don't let that sink into your spirit. Smash their sacred stones, he says. And cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. What God is saying is there will be a people who do not care about ordering a just and fair society. And you should not marry into that story. You're different. You know the word of God. You know that you're supposed to care for the poor. You know that you're supposed to stay clean. And so you see Solomon beginning to lose His morality, he says you can pray for them but don't play with them and certainly don't lay with them, Solomon. You can pray for them but don't play with them and don't don't get in bed with them, Solomon. Solomon marries into that, he's losing his sense of morality. Do you see this story with Solomon? Doesn't stop there, chapter 11, it gets worse. The people here are supposed to just like gasp out loud, what? Chapter 11, verse 1, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonians and Hittites, and they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had seven hundred wives. Good God Almighty! I'm trying to keep up with one. My, and I love her. I mean, she's fantastic. All I need is one. Seven hundred wives. Seven hundred wives of royal birth. So he's brokering deals with mayors and governors and you know city council members, and he's just trying to marry all these people so he can have what he wants, and also have these people be beholden to him politically. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Do you see chapter three? He starts out trying to protect two prostitutes and give them justice and make sure they have what they need. By the end, he's got 700 wives and 300 concubines that he is using up and throwing away. He lost his sense of biblical morality And he turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. And it gets worse. On a hill just east of Jerusalem, not far from where Jesus would be hung on a cross, On a hill just east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place, a temple for Chemosh, the detestable God of Moab. And for Molech, the detestable God of the Ammon. Do you see the unraveling, oh how the mighty has fallen? Solomon gave himself over to the ruin of his own rampant sexuality. And we think, oh gosh, Solomon, what a scoundrel. And oh my gosh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Solomon is so terrible. But if we're honest, we all have access to a thousand different casual sexual partners. Even if they're just online. It's getting quiet in this Baptist church tonight, my God. Hey, right? Like friends, rampant sexuality deviant behavior, like the enemy is trying to lead us astray, the enemy is trying to not only get us to close our ears to the cry of the poor, he's also trying to get us to blur the lines of a proper biblical sexuality and morality, and friends, the enemy is putting that in front of us every single hour of every single day, but those who follow God, if you will follow me, you will remain in the land But if you do not follow me, you will be cut off from the land. And I can hardly think of a sin that more immediately cuts us off from the land than throwing ourselves into sexual promiscuity. Friends, Solomon lost his sense of biblical morality, and and it was one of the fatal flaws that destroyed him. And I'll say, if we don't constrain and chasten our sexual desire, we will be cut off from the promised land. Friends, let's stay clean. He walked away from the poor. He walked away from a biblical morality. But the third fatal flaw of Solomon is that Solomon put on a facade of piety. Oh, I worship you, almighty God. Oh, blessed be the name. 700 wives, 300 concubines, concentration camps with slaves building the house of God that he came into and peacocked his way up to the front of the stage and said oh blessed be the name of Yahweh oh so good kill the fattened calves oh isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today saints runs home to his 700 wives and 300 concubines watches the, the slaves walk out in chains after they've just built the house of God shame on you Solomon Solomon put on a facade of piety. I, I, I've, I've said this for years, that it's actually, it actually demonstrates a greater integrity to just follow the devil wholeheartedly than to say that you're following God and follow the devil wholeheartedly. Like it's more honest to just go, no, I don't follow God and I don't want to. I want to be my own God. I want to live however I want. I, I respect that person more than the person who goes, oh, I'm just, oh, Solomon. Oh, uh, blessed be the name. While the slaves are walking up, blessed be the name of the Lord. While there's sexual promiscuity, like friends, let's just be honest about how we're living. Choose you this day whom you will serve, says Moses. Like, as for me, Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Moses goes, I set before you today life and death, and I set before you blessing and cursing. Like, choose life. But if you're going to throw your life away, just be honest about that. But don't peacock up into the house of God. And and friends, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm, I'm reading this word as a chastening to me. This word sobers me up. This word chastens me. This word checks me against the boards. This word has me asking, How's my life looking right now? Solomon walked away from the poor, he walked away from a sense of biblical morality. And Solomon, to make it worse, acted like he was a saint. He faked his worship. I want you to see that right here in chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's the end of Solomon's story. Chapter 1, the beginning. Promise, wisdom. I'm only a child. Give me a wise and discerning heart. He builds the temple, but oh, how the mighty have fallen. And Friends, I want you to see that God loves us so much that he will regularly warn us To save us from destruction. Wisdom is not mentioned again for the rest of the book of Kings. Solomon, remember, the wisest man to ever live. Oh my gosh, he's the wisest man to ever live. He starts out like this and he ends up worse than Pharaoh. And the word wisdom is not used again in the rest of the book of Kings. Kings. I want you to see just because you started well doesn't guarantee that you will end well. I had a dream about five years ago. I was 35, I'm 40 now. And I don't dream. I, I just, I, I go to bed and my subconscious is like a brick. Just, <laughs> and I wake up the next day and I'm that was great, let's go. You know, I, I hear these people who journal their dreams and they've got visions and colors and all the stories. And, and I'm jealous of that, I just don't do that. Uh, but five years ago I woke up and I was like oh my gosh like I remembered every bit of this dream and in this dream there was a man who had half of a face and it was blurry half of a face and it was blurry and something in me knew that I should know who this is and I was puzzled and I was scratching my head like, Lord, who is that? And what was that Half of a face and the half that I could see, it was blurry and it was it was pixelated and it was unclear and, and it troubled me. Like s- certain dreams leave you with certain emotions. And it had me on my knees in prayer that morning. Lord, what was that? And who was that? And why did I, I, sh- I should know that person, but I don't know that person. And the Lord said to me, that morning in prayer after my dream, he says, you are at the point in your life where you can become unrecognizable if you're not careful. He told me, that's you. Half of a face, blurry. And he said, Daniel, this is a cautionary tale. I'm warning you. You are 35. You are coming into your strength. You're coming into responsibility. People are starting to trust you. Your kids are growing older. People are looking to you for help. And Daniel, warning, you are at a point in your life where you can become unrecognizable if you're not careful. And five years later, that dream still pulses through me with a fear of the lord and with a sobriety and with a with a, a wake up to it and friends i'm just i hear the lord saying to us wake up Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't start out beautifully like Solomon and then end up as a disaster. If you follow me, you will have the promised land. If you don't follow me, you will be cut off from the land and exiled. Saints, tonight, I need you to hear the word of the Lord. Do not let Solomon's fatal flaws become your fatal flaws. Love the poor. Honor the Lord with your body. Keep a sense of biblical morality and spend your life strengthening others. Spend your life following after God and don't put on a facade of piety. Let's be people of integrity. Friends, just because we started well doesn't mean we end well on accident. But let me say this. Just because you started poorly doesn't mean you have to end as a fool. God, his arms are wide open, God is happy, God is inviting us, God loves us enough to warn us. God loves us enough to say, be careful. God loves us enough to wake us up and to rattle the cage and to shake us out of our slumber. Just because you may have made mistakes and thrown your life away and the enemy may have convinced you that you will never become greater than the very worst thing. You will never overcome the very worst thing you did. And I'm here to say tonight, garbage, Just because you may have started poorly or just because you may have made some bad decisions doesn't mean you have to stay in the world of foolishness. The arms of God are wide open. Repent, come home, fall on your knees tonight and he will gladly receive you and stand us back up on our feet. Friends, let's be people who live in God's wisdom. Let's be people who care for the poor. Let's be people who honor the Lord with our bodies. Let's be people who come into the house of God as true worshipers who are clean and who can lift our hands to heaven. And then on that great day of the Lord, we walk up with humility and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, would you stand with me tonight? As our band comes I wanna invite our communion servers to come forward to be ready to serve us and we've got plenty of time here to respond. Could you get the prayer of confession ready to pull up? We're gonna pray this together. Tonight I sense God calling us to return home, to repent, to say yes to Jesus afresh, to rededicate and recommit our lives to God's service, to to purity, to care for the poor. Friends tonight, let's repent and let's come home to Jesus. This prayer is going to come up on the screen and it's lifted out of the scriptures and frankly, Solomon's dad, David, wrote most of it. He had thrown his life away. He had been a fool. He had stolen Bathsheba and killed her husband, Uriah, and he, he, he just... Demolished his life and the life of the people around him and frankly he had fractured his nation and on this day the prophet Nathan came in with a word like this tonight and he confronted him and what did David do? David did not get defensive you know what David said I've sinned have mercy on me oh God forgive me cleanse me. You're right. I've done what's evil in your sight and, and, and I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth. And I, God, I, I need you to heal me. I need you to forgive me. Would you have mercy? And you know what God will never do? God will never turn away the humble. God will never reject someone who is asking for mercy. God will never turn his back on someone who goes, my bad. Heal my heart, cleanse me tonight, friends. I want us to pray this prayer with a contrite and a repentant heart. It's going to come up on the screen, and I want you to see this first, this first uh, stanza. And I want you to read it first before we pray it, so that you can opt into this prayer. If what you see on the screen is what you want to say to God, if you think that's a reasonable thing to say, if your heart is ready for that, would you join me now by praying? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Let's go to the next stanza, pause. I want you to look at it again and see if you can pray that in faith, if you can pray that in agreement. If you need to give God these words, would you continue by praying them with me by saying We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Pause. Next stanza. Think about neighbors, people we can help, people we might lend our strength to. Maybe this week there's a call you need to make. There's a gift you need to give. There's a conversation you need to have. Let's look at this next stanza. If you can pray this from the bottom of your heart, join me by praying. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Let's look at this last one. Delight. Look at that word. Not just that we can do the right things, but that we may delight. If you can pray this with me by faith, join me. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that from the depths of your being, if you prayed that with a contrite heart, I'm here to announce to you the good news. God will never turn you away. He gladly receives us back tonight. He gladly washes away our sins. He throws open his arms. He throws open the doors of his home. He says, welcome home. The good news of the gospel is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The good news is you are clean in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks tonight for what he's done? Okay, we're gonna sing this just anthem of a worship song I want us to rejoice as if we are the clean and forgiven people of God you can come through the room head out to your right if you're not able to come to the room tap someone they'll bring you an extra communion element but come get your communion elements as we worship come back to your seat hold them there and in just a minute I'll come and we'll receive them together let's worship the Lord your communion elements ready to receive Lisa just reminded me during this communion song she said in verse 4 you know if the if the double if God rebuked Solomon because he said you weren't like your father David you didn't have a heart like your father David wait David was an adulterer and a murderer you know what he had a pure heart to repent to God It's not about perfection. It's about, is your heart soft? Do you long for God? Do you return to him? Is your heart broken when you break his heart? It's not about perfection. It's about the posture of our hearts. Friends, tonight, would you just, before we receive, would you ask God for a tender heart? Would you ask God for humility? Would you ask God for purity of heart? Would you ask God to wash you to the depths of your being would you ask God for a conscience that wakes you up when you walk away would you ask God to make you quick to fall on your knees when you realize that you have walked away oh God give us pure hearts God give us holiness give us tenderness give us innocence oh God Make us childlike and make us kind and make us gracious and make us, make us like Jesus, we pray. Make us like Jesus, we pray. How are we made like Jesus? We're made like Jesus by continually letting his spirit fill us. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, knew, he knew that we would need to be remade into his image. And so he goes, here you go. Here's my body. My body is broken for you. He says, take it and eat. Get my story into your very being. Take it and eat all of you. My body, which is broken. Friends, receive the life of Jesus tonight. He said, this cup, it's the new covenant David threw it away. Solomon threw it away. On and on, the kings would throw it away. And you and I have thrown it away. He goes, this cup is the new covenant. It's new covenant given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of all of your sins. The remission of all. I just don't see an angry Jesus at the table. I don't see a frustrated Jesus at the table. I don't see a God that's pointing the finger. He says, this is... You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Take the wine, drink, and be happy, friends. Be happy tonight because God has forgiven you. Let's sing, O oh, come, let us adore Him right here. Oh, come. Come on church, press in tonight. Let's worship the King. Let's bless his name. Let's honor him with It's 756 I've given us 4 minutes here on purpose Bill would you come to the stage I introduced you to our friends from Romania and Bill has been a pastor in Canada so they fled from Romania to save their family's lives and they went to Canada and for the last 30 years Bill has been a pastor in Canada and I was with him this week and he prayed a prayer and friends when he opened his mouth to pray Heaven opened up. The spirit of the Lord fell. It was holy ground. And I said, what are you doing on Friday night? And so I'm I'm asking him, this is a man of God. You are how, how old? 62. 62. And he's weathered storms and he's been through wars and rumors of war. And he's been faithful. He and his bride all these years. And there's something that only he can pray because of the spiritual inheritance he has fought to gain. And I want you to open your hands tonight to receive the blessing from a man of God who has
4: logged miles with God. Bill, would you pray the blessing over us? May I say before I pray, September 15, 34 years ago, with my beautiful wife and three children under five years of age, and some other friends, we were about to cross the border. We were like in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea toward freedom. And we prayed a prayer because we ventured into the future only trusting God, knowing nothing else. And may I give him praise tonight in your midst. And may I confess that he's faithful. That he stands by his word. May I declare to every one of you, He loves you. He created you. He has a plan with you. And He wants to initiate further relationship and help you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Pastor. May we pray. Yes. Yes, Father. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bow our heads. And worship you and thank you because you have been with us that you have blessed us and right here tonight you have given us the word you have used your servant pastor Dan and gave us the word of warning first the blessing the warning. And now through the communion and the fellowship with the body of Jesus and with the blood, you told us when we partake of your body and of your blood, we have life, life, life in us. I speak life throughout this house tonight that every person under the sound of my voice and online life, eternal life, life from Jesus, life. And the communion has another blessing. The woman with the issue of blood said in her heart, if I may touch him, I may be made whole. Tonight, 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 Lord, by the power of the mighty name of Jesus, we call wholeness. Pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Release the powerful word to the house. You are wounded for our transgressions. You are abused for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon you. And with your stripes, we are healed. Healing, healing in the name of Jesus to the house. And may we count our blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. Could you
3: give it up for this man of God? (laughs) Do you feel that? You know someone who's lived in the presence of God 34 years ago right now, crossing a border. I just want to say to you, you're going to be okay. 34 years ago, he wondered, I want you to hear tonight, you are going to be okay because Jesus is with you. Go from here tonight. May the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord smile big on you and all your people and may he grant you shalom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done? Couple things, couple things, couple things. Prayer team, prayer team is coming down. If you wanna get signed up for the men's retreat, if you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.